Oh, hush, can somebody turn the volume down a little bit here? I'm trying to... I'm trying to have a little bit of a nap in my wonderful, flimsy little butler hammock. No, that's not a banana hammock, it's an actual hammock. Um, I've uh, still got the morning coat on. I have loosened the tie, uh, knotted handkerchief on one's head, and I'm sipping uh, a rather lovely uh, gin and tonic, actually. Uh, we're not got the, uh, we haven't got the uh, lime, but a, a little slice of cucumber is rather delightful on a sunny, hot September day here in Colorado. Welcome to September. Mellow mists and fruitfulness the month of. And it's rather lovely to be here once again, um, just before the Labor Day weekend. Uh, sort of racking my brain, wondering if I should do two um, Bonanza bumper editions of the podcast, or if I should uh, keep things very lean and mean, and just give you people one. Do you deserve another bumper Bonanza edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, episode 23. Um, anyway, so lovely to be here. It's um, cool in the morning, uh, rather autumnal, one of my favorite words of all. I think autumnal and indubitably are my two favorite words um, on God's green earth. Um, and it's, it's nice in the morning, but it's, it's, it's roasting. My chestnuts are roasting on an open fire come midday. It's in, in the 90s, and it is uh, hot, 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 steamy hot. And soon I will have no pool to dip into. I won't be able to slip on the Victorian bathing suit any longer because the pools are going to be closing. Maybe I'll start doing some wild, um, wild water swimming. You know, maybe I'll pick a lake or a river and start... Um, you know, doggy paddling along there. That could be the way forward for me moving uh, moving forward here into September and October. And there may be possibly some snow here in Colorado. So we might go 97 degrees Monday down to 30 or 40 degrees on, um, on Tuesday. So uh, there'll be some icicles hanging off the Never regions if I forget to take off the Victorian bathing suit come Tuesday morn. Um, so some of the things that we uh, we may or may not uh, be discussing in today's podcast is how to tell if a bird is happy, it'll be singing jazz. Um, 18 propellers equal to one very strange flying car. Uh, Bajuju, ancient recipe for Chinese liquor, leaves collectors in high spirits. Can a male tweakment actually work. I'm writing this in no full stops as it's soon going to seem aggressive. And um, revisiting and rereading Empire of the Sun by J.G. Ballard, a nice little review of the horror of wartime Shanghai, an absolutely fantastic adaptation by uh, Steven Spielberg in 1984 uh, of the same name, Empire of the Sun. And it is a fabulous movie, tough to watch in part, but a real coming of age movie. Um, French louts holidaying at home are upsetting quiet resorts. Elephants get cannabis oil to give them uh, help with the grief. Uh, we are looking at a 17th century version of LinkedIn that's netting $3 million. Uh, 
Uh, King Alfred's claim as a first naval victor is set rather adrift. Um, and experts say 500 black leopards and pumas could be roaming the British countryside. And women this week in France are crying liberty, egalité, nudité over the beach cover-up boob. Um, we talked about that last week, and I think we're going to be uh, dabbling in that again this week. And then um, one of my favourites of the week, woman accidentally dyes her cat yellow with turmeric treatment and sends the internet into a frenzy. Now, turmeric or turmeric or however you want to pronounce um, that fabulous golden spice, it is the uh, gold, and it actually color gold uh, or yellowy gold, it's the, it's the gold of all Indian spices. Um, it, uh, it's anti-inflammatory, it does wonders, it whitens the teeth, it does yellow one's tongue I have to say, which which may be a, a slight downside, but um, you know, get the tongue scraper out, scrub the tongue clean, and then you're turmeric free. But turmeric is, um, is, is God's elixir, basically. And I highly recommend it uh, for all of you um, ladies and gentlemen out there. With any tummy ailments, it does cure IBS, and it has cured my IBS. Um, and uh, I can actually go on a long hike now without fear of uh, putting on an adult butler diaper or having to find a portaloo. Uh, and we know how dirty and full of uh, germs and nastiness those portaloos are. Anyway, welcome along to the podcast. Keep calming cauliflower cheese. You're welcome. It's glorious to have you here. Please lay back next to me in the hammock, recline. Relax, deep breaths, things zen-like things. Because we've got a long weekend here in the U.S. ahead. No, you don't in the U.K. You had that uh, last week, you lovely people. But uh, yeah, d- d- just take off your shoes, take off your socks. I do not mind. I have some foot powder here if you need it. So enjoy and uh, and uh, have a lovely, lovely weekend and enjoy the podcast. We do have our usual compendium of uh, features as well. Um, f- Bursting at the seams, it's almost like a rather rotund man in a pair of trousers that's too tight for him. That's how much we have. You know, there's slight bulges here, there's slight bulges here, uh, there, and, uh, you know, we're full of, uh, full of capacity this week. So if you do want to undo that top button because we're brimming of features, then, then please do. Um, we have some scallywag darts, uh, really our little, um, ode our doffing of the cap to uh arrows the um the sort of cockney version of uh of darts and um you know we're going to be looking at headline heinous headline crimes through the week that we will mark up on the darts board as either uh, missing the board triple 20 bullseye and chirpy the butler special prize one of the downsides of having dogs is that you find little hairballs everywhere. So, you know, I'm sitting at my usual desk here in my uh, highly state-of-the-art studio, um, which is basically a wire plugged into an old microphone, plugged into the Mac here, and recording every uh, essence of what I'm saying. But I found, like, a random piece of furball on the desk here. I don't know how it got here. I mean, um, I think if I ever start up, a like, a pillow stuffing company... I, uh, I would have enough fur to go around um, between my chest and back hair 
and uh, the dogs, uh, especially George the collie, has a uh, excess of uh, excessive fur, almost uh, full Barbarossa on George and on myself, and we could use that for um, as a pillow stuffing, insulation, anything you like. Um, so as Scalaric Darts, we have a little indulgence of um, medieval tincture tinder where the axes swing into the right or the left. We have some pretty gruesome ones uh, this week um, uh, on the uh, on the podcast. We do have an East Anglian ghost story, um, a Butler fireside ghost story, really getting in the mood of the night's drawing in. I think it's a perfect time for a ghost story. Um, so we have that as well on the podcast today. Um, and uh, we do have um, uh, some recounting of an ancient uh, East Anglian pub game as well. I know I keep promising that. We do have um, a retelling of the pub games uh, that have gone missing over the years this week. So um, look forward to that too. So I wonder if you've ever asked the question, Chappie, is it, is it, how can you tell if a bird is happy? Well, it'll be singing jazz. Mention jazz and birds in the same sentence, and music aficionados will probably think of the late great saxophonist Charlie Bird Parker. Now, however, it seems that the bird of the winged variety are keen to get in on the act. Biologists believe that birds don't sing purely to mark their territory or find a mate. They also do it because they enjoy it, and when they enjoy it, uh, most of all, it sounds like freeform jazz. Research suggests that birds get a buzz out of singing from the opioids it produces in their brains. The study indicates that birds enjoy the type of singing that they do when they get together in a group, which means that the dawn chorus is the avian equivalent of simplify the best, uh, simply the best at a friend's wedding. Lauren Ritter, a biologist at the University of Wisconsin, has found the secret that she refers to as Gregorious singing. You can uh, tell the difference between songs with a purpose and warbling for pleasure, Professor Ritter said, because the latter sounds like jazz. When they're practicing, they try out different songs they order and reorder and repeat song sequences. They add and drop notes, she said. It sounds a bit like freeform jazz and is quite distinct from the structured songs that male songbirds produce when they're trying to attract mates. Uh, a sort of uh, call to duty, I guess. It is a freeform songs that um, produce during practice that our studies show to be rewarding. To find out how it feels good for them to sing, they use a conditional place preference test, which is used in psychological research on animals to test reward. They decorated a space in a distinctive way, putting the birds in it immediately after they had sung. Later, after the birds had not sung, they gave them an option to spend time in the decorated place or the non-decorated place. The birds spent longer in the decorated places, suggesting they associate it with singing in a positive way and jazz. So, are we talking like Smooth Jazz 105.2? Or are we talking Ella and Louis? Or Lewis? is actually Louis Armstrong. And, and the big question is, one of my favorite things in jazz, I do like a little bit of jazz, I have to say, are there any lazy trumpets? I love myself a lazy trumpet. So I read in the week and saw this picture that looks like a sort of um, flying dildo, basically. 18 propellers equal one very strange flying car. In science fiction films, from Blade Runner to Minority Report, flying cars are cool and futuristic. The US Force Air Force's prototype has not been sprinkled with the magic of the movies. At a demonstration in Austin, Texas, the US Air Force unveiled a bizarre aircraft with 18 electric motors and propellers, one seat and five floats to provide buoyancy. 
when landing on, upon the water. The prototype designed by the US startup Lyft Aircraft and called Hexa has received bemused reviews in the US, describing it as a golf cart hoisted into the air by a team of drones. The US military announced this year that it wanted a 30E VOTOL electric-powered vertical takeoff and landing vehicles by the end of the decade. A number of large tech companies are working on Evertol um, flying devices, including Uber, who wants to uh, launch uh, flying taxis within a decade. A device that can take off and land vertically is useful for the military. It removes the need for a runway and could be destroyed by the enemy fire, which is cheaper, smaller and quieter than a helicopter and able to carry more weight than a drone. So it makes me think, as always, the, the butler mind wanders um, excruciatingly, and, uh, excruciatingly into uh, some bizarre areas. Um, I mean, I, 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 as I said before, I think my left part of my brain is cryogenically frozen, so I don't understand science, mathematics, and biology. Um, but I'm wondering, I, I, I sort of want, a, a, you know, a bunch of butlers flying around. You know, I could, I could get together with Jeeves um, uh, as well as myself, uh, and maybe, um, you may, uh, maybe some of our other butler friends, and uh, we could fly around in a tandem, you know, a flying tandem, uh, basket, bicycle clips, maybe a small picnic hamper at the front, always uh, with the crust cut off the sandwiches. Um, and, and I think that would be rather nice. I would love a flying tandem. It, you know, you get to the, your next, uh, next job, your next client very, very quickly on a, on a, on a flying tandem. Um, it, but again, the mind is wandering here. Um, so the question is, why do vicars, like, you know, the typical English vicar, priest, why do they cycle sort of bow-legged with their legs going out, you know, at quarter past and quarter two? Um, almost like John Wayne, a bandy-legged John Wayne. Why do vicars cycle like that? It's something that I've always uh, always pondered and always wondered. I'm wondering if you need a little bit more freedom, if you have that sort of um, vicar's robe or almost like a cassock on. If if it's very if it's very restrictive and you have to cycle with your legs uh, pointing outwards, so can a male tweakment actually work? Is it possible to freeze away fat or zap wrinkles with the hot rods? Um, very interesting piece by Dr. Michael Mosley in the week here uh, in the London Times, um, and he's talking about no stranger to cosmetic treatments while making a series of history of surgery. He was Botoxed. And it is face injected with blood, a process known as the vampire faceless, facelift. Neither experience was a particularly happy one, and they were certainly very, very uh, interesting. So there's a number of different things that you know contained within this um, sort of male tweakment um, type of area. Um, the first is body contouring. Few of us are 100% satisfied with our shape. There's the odd bulge we wish wasn't there, but we struggle to get rid of it. So what can you do about it? Diet and exercise seem the obvious answer, but the problem is the body fat has no control over where it's deposited or where it gets shed. Um, and certain actresses observed, after a certain age, you may have to choose between your face and your bottom. A few years ago, if you really wanted to lose fat from a specific part of your body, you may have opted for liposuction. These days, however, many people are preferring less invasive called body contouring, um, and it's led to the rise in this, uh, in this t type of uh, procedure. The aim here is to get rid of that area stubborn fat, not by sucking it out, but by freezing it or heating it to destruction. 
Um, I, I'm wondering, it's almost like a piece of like pork crackling getting stuck between the teeth. It's a piece of fat that you can't get rid of and you can't prize it out. You know, it's a sort of thing, you know, a chewy piece of pork crackling, pork fat that's stuck between the teeth here. Very, very, uh, very, very similar. You can prefer to have your fat frozen, but there's a different device that can be strapped to the wobbly bits. I don't know if I want anything strapped to my wobbly bits, to be honest. And then cool below freezing to fr uh, until the fat crystallizes. Once the fat cells have been destroyed by either method, they're removed by the body's normal scavenger system. So that's one area here. And then, you know, there's light therapy as well. It almost sounds like uh, Star Wars or Star Trek. Beat me up, Scotty. Uh, I have no wish to have my love handles frozen or melted, but at least there's a plausible rationale behind how these procedures work. So there's infrared therapy as well, which claims that gentle exercise done whilst being bombarded with infrared, infrared light is guaranteed way, uh, way to lose weight and, pr and improve your mood. I mean, it makes one sort of slightly skeptical, you know, whilst pedaling along or maybe on a rowing machine, um, uh, you know, possibly uh, trying this infrared light to uh, melt away your uh, melt away your sort of indiscretions here. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I wonder if a gentle stroll, if you could have somebody uh, pumping in infrared light from the top of a tree or something. Whilst you're on a little gentle stroll around the around the uh, around the estate's pond or lake or something, if that would that would even work, or you have to get your heart rate up a little bit more probably before it could even uh, could even work. But other options they tried Botox, um, safe, but there's a concern uh, that, that people are having it is younger for longer, it might damage the underlying muscles. Um, and then you have there's fillers. These increasingly used not to just plump up the lips, but uh, replace procedures that would uh, previously be done by plastic surgery if you fancy having a liquid nose job. Now, what is that? I mean, if I had a uh, if I had a uh, a liquid nose job, I mean that would be a lot of liquid. You could probably, um, if my nose was liquefied, you could probably, um, you know, solve a, a lot of the thirst issues around the world. Now, I don't know if it would be necessarily pleasant, all that uh, nasal hair and, 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 and sort of umska coming out of the nose and making a liquid, but you, you just, you know, you just never know. It could solve a lot of uh, thirst and uh, water shortage issues or liquid shortage issues uh, around the whole world. Um, so, and then finally, the, the hot rods, the most, and this, this sounds like a, taking me back to boarding school here, maybe a, a hot rod or maybe a hot, crumpet between the legs or something. The most invasive procedure I underwent uh, where dermatologists applied titanium rods heated at 400 degrees Celsius. This takes me back to Edward II. It's like the red hot poker going up the bottom. Uh, briefly, uh, but this to his face, not surprisingly, despite lasting as a local anesthetic cream, it was quite painful. I, 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 yes, you're not a roast potato. So, so, you know, 400 degree titanium rod stuck anywhere would uh, would be uh, would I imagine rather uncom uncomfortable? You might need a uh, you know a cup of tea with a dash of milk on top to calm things down afterwards. I would say. I do highly uh, recommend rewatching or rereading *Empire of the Sun* by J.D. Ballard. *The Horror of Wartime Shanghai* is an unbelievable movie by uh, uh, by um, Steven Spielberg. Um, and and some one of the reviewers uh, in the Times in the week um, really sort of opened up my eyes again, 
It made me want to reread and rewatch the movie. An open truck packed with professional executioners swerved in front of them on its way to the public stranglings of the old city. Seizing his chance, a barefoot beggar boy ran beside the packet. He drummed his fists on the doors and held out his palm to Jim, shouting in the street of all of Shanghai, No mama, no papa, no whiskey soda. Whoosh, three pages in, you already know The Empire of the Sun is an extraordinary novel. In those three throwaway sentences, J.G. Ballard gives us two unforgettable and unsettling images. Many more terrible jolting and surreal scenes and visions follow you around the course of 300 pages. This is a novel that you cannot unread. Little wonder that Steven Spielberg turned it into a movie. What gives the story even more power is the semi-autobiographical Jim Ballard. Probably saw that the beggar boy and the truckload of uh, uh, stranglers and many of the wartime horrors that were described. Empire of the Sun recalls his childhood experiences in a Japanese prison camp in occupied China during the Second World War. He said it took him nearly 40 years before he started writing it, because I had children of my own, I didn't want to expose them to the kind of experiences that I had. It was published in 1984 when Ballard was 54, his children uh, were adults. Ballard was born in Shanghai in 1930. His father ran a textile business in the city's international settlement when Japan launched its attack on Pearl Harbor in December 1941, declaring war on American Britain. The Ballards were interned, spending three years in one small room in a camp. Um, in his tatty school blazer, Jim learns how to live in a hostile world of the prison camp. He makes himself useful to adults, whether it's the amoral... Um, American wheeler dealer Basie or the Japanese guards running errands, fetching water, tending fires. His charms, he creeps, he scrounges, he feeds, he rings around, rings around from corpses. Um, it, it is an absolute delightful piece of literature. It's a very good movie as well. Um, it's very emotive. It's a coming of, coming of age story about a young man who basically uh, loses his parents in Shanghai, as interned in a Japanese war camp, and it is one of my favorite movies of all time. I highly recommend it. You need a little bit of time. I think it nearly runs to about three hours, but it is an absolute delightful movie, uh, Empire, of the Star, Empire of the Sun, and it's a, it's a wonderful novel as well. The novel is, um, is fantastic, but if you only have a few hours, certainly watch the movie. It will definitely change your life. So a lot of movies and TV shows are filming again now, and kissing scenes are returning to the um, English soap EastEnders. But contain your arousal. There's no trouser rummaging, please. Actors now can have to snog for a perspex screen. Using a technique will doubtless be adopted across the industry. Actors will mash lips each side of the hard plastic screen and uh, then have the screen digitally removed in the edit. Um, so... I mean, it's quite interesting. So just imagine um, the sort of actors and Vespian predecessors have suffered in decades past. Vivian Lee put in some very hard yards when she had to uh, osculate with uh, Clark Gable in Gone with the Wind. Apparently had terrible halitosis, reportedly thanks to suffering from gum disease in the 1930s, which rotted his teeth. Kissing Clark Gable was not that exciting, she said, witheringly. His dentures smelled something awful. So may as well said, frankly, my dear, I don't give a dental damn. Um, but, but I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I, 
I can't imagine, you know, can you imagine Emmanuel being filmed now through Perspex? I mean, I wonder if they maybe cut like a glory hole in the Perspex so things can emanate. I don't know. Um, it, it does. And maybe that scene in Nine and a Half Weeks where Mickey Rourke and Kim Basinger are on the steps, water cascading over them. Would would Kim have to be on top of the Perspex now and Mickey below the Perspex? It could cause all sorts of different trouble and i mean that when those things shatter the perspex would have to be shatterproof or you could have all sorts of splinters in all sorts of nether regions big relief it's not just the brits french holiday louts are upsetting locals in the small french mediterranean resort of paladins de la flotte it is known for its sandy beaches 12th century cathedral and ancestral provencal water jousting contests in the summer in recent weeks, however, it's been uh, settling, um, setting in for fights, disturbances, lewd and sexist behaviour, and a demonstration by local retailers that say the French jobs who make the English lager out look almost innocuous. Um, similar complaints have been voiced in other resorts during the holiday season, underlying the rifts and violence of uh, in France uh, in French society. It it almost um, maybe a, you know one too many carafes of wine, uh, I would say. Um, I, I imagine these these French louts in ill-fitting banana hammocks with the moule marinere on show, maybe some bad accordion playing and garlic emanating from every pore. What a delicious aroma! So elephants are getting cannabis oil, CBD oil, to help them grieve. The elephants in a Warsaw zoo are receiving doses of cannabis extract in grief counseling experiment after the death of the herd's matriarch. It makes me wonder if you... Do you think an elephant gets the munchies? You know, if you, if you give them some... Uh, I don't know if you get it from the cannabis oil. You get maybe with the THC missing, you, you don't get the munchies. But I wonder if they get like a taste for like Cheetos or, or maybe like a, like a hot pocket... Um, um, you know, or, or some other sort of snacks, maybe those little, uh, a little peanut butter, um, uh, you know, sandwiches type things. I, I, I do wonder if, uh, if the elephant, you know, maybe the elephant would like those peanut cracker things, but they do like peanuts. So that could be the elephant's munchie. I would imagine maybe the, the peanut ba uh, butter cracker, or possibly even just a jar of the peanuts so they can put their trunk in and just suck all that peanutty goodness up. 17th century LinkedIn net $3 million. The sale of a freelance diplomat's glittering contracts book and contacts book uh, completes a 400-year quest. As the 30 years war consumed um, Central Europe, a Bavarian diplomat and art dealer oozed through the courts of the rich and powerful, amassing a contacts book that would put uh, modern foreign ministries and LinkedIn to shame. Philip Hainhofer was not only the continent's premier gossip, but he was also the most distinguished autograph hunter of his age, collecting the signature of Cosimo de Medici, uh, Stuart Queen, two Archdukes of Austria, uh, Rudolf II, the Holy Roman Emperor, and after his death in 19, um, sorry, 1647, a German library tried to acquire the resulting um, album Amacorum, a book of friends, embellished by some of the period's leading painters nearly four centuries later, and it has succeeded. So it makes me, you know, it makes you wonder if you could get cancelled in the medieval ages for soliciting too many messages on social media to one person or get blocked for fraternising with hot contacts that he makes. Uh, or, or, or maybe, you know, if he 
takes a fancy to an alluring thumbnail oil painting sketch within his uh, medieval LinkedIn. I'm wondering also, did he have anything like a three degrees of Kevin Bacon on, on, on this sort of medieval contacts uh, emporium? Oh, yes. A little bit of scallywag darts. We delve into some of the heinous crimes, headline crimes in the week. And uh, we decide uh, and how to measure them uh, in a dart scoring competition. So first up, missing the board this week in terms of headlines. Um, I think we've got a few here. Gordon Ramsay, steak customer who didn't read the menu carefully, stunned at the huge bill. Um, I think we're going to miss this one as well. Rare mutant two-headed rattlesnake discovered in once-in-a-lifetime find. That sounds as scary as all buggery, to be honest. Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> I think we also... I think we also have... One of the beauties of the week is... And I think this is our triple 20. Woman accidentally dyes her cat yellow with turmeric treatment, which sends the uh, internet into a frenzy. Uh, Fampampa Sumpasas, a woman living in Thailand, rubbed turmeric onto her cat's fur to treat a fungal infection. I wonder if that could cure any other sort of nasty infections below the belt. Rub a bit of the yellow goodness on there. Who knows? Um, and then um, people who eat peanut butter for breakfast are better in bed, the study claims. That, I would say, is our bullseye of the week. Uh, but I'm just wondering if you've got peanut allergy allergies, you, you know, are, are you are you rubbing the are you rubbing the peanut butter into the uh, into the nether regions? Do you prefer the smooth peanut butter or something a little bit more nutty? What about if you have peanut allergies? You could have you know could have a severe case of um, something blowing up in your face um, or a sort of case of elephantitis or something. It could be it could be bad. So people with any sort of distinct peanut allergies i wouldn't do that but anyway that's that's the bullseye this week but um but but our Chappie's special prize uh the nudist couple will pay someone two million or two million two thousand pounds to help them move but you have to be naked so this week's article is a is a rather delicious one so a naturist couple are on the hunt for a removal driver to help them move house and they're willing to pay a pretty penny for the work but there's a big catch a unique job advert has been posted online seeking a removal driver comfortable carrying out the move without his clothes on yes a naturist couple are on the hunt for somebody to help move house in the nude the worker will be paid two thousand dollars for their help with the move uh, which should take place in uh, mid-September. The eyebrow-raising request was posted to a delivery, removals, and transport marketplace online. However, the site was unable to process the request due to the nature of the job. It offered to assist the couple personally in finding an appropriate candidate. It, it, it just makes you think here. I mean, again, uh, you know, diversifying my, uh, my, my, my work and my occupation butlers in the buff i think it'd be fantastic butlers in the buff with just the white gloves you know so you don't get any you know dirt or dust on your hands uh would be uh, rather wonderful but thinking about this so so you, you've got the removal guy the couple's new the removal guy are they helping as well are they sort of bending and squatting and lifting as well you know furniture nips and pinches uh, it, it pinches the unmentionables and nips the nips i guess 
Um, and, and then again, what, what sort of tip do you get at the end? I mean, uh, you know, do you get something in a brown envelope or, or maybe something, you know, rather more than that? Who knows? Yes, welcome along to our little medieval uh, Tinder game here where it's not really a, a dating or a love competition. It's more the, uh, the axe swinging uh, to the left or the right. Is the axe missing or is the axe hitting? Um, and uh, do they get sort of a love potion along the way here? Um, so this week, uh, it's a mad, mad world. Charles VI of France took power at 21 and things actually went well enough for a decade. But then he was called the Beloved. And then at the age of 32, mental illness took hold. He murdered four of his knights and attacked his brother, Louis of Orleans. Even more bizarre, he believed that he was made of glass and that he would shatter if touched. Quickly, he went from being known as Charles the Beloved to Charles the Mad. So um, yeah, let's just have a think about that in a minute. So we got Charles VI here um, as our uh, delicious um, uh, contestant on Tinder here. Our, t- our tincture Tinder, our medieval Tinder game. So, I mean, do you think he would get, uh, do you think he would get maybe a little bit of that? Do you think it's, oh, or is it that? We have to decide, is it the axe chopping? Or maybe, maybe a little bit of the old bigot or... That sound effect is a skull crushing. Oops, there we go. So I think, I think Charles VI gets that here. Yeah. Alright. Alright, so here we go. So we have our second contestant. Um, a crappy inheritance. Edward VI of England was the grandson of Charles VI and looked like he might have been inherited his father, grandfather's mental instability. Unable to rule properly in his entire reign, in 1453 he had a mental breakdown and fell into a vegetative state for over a year. This created a power struggle that led to the, uh, led to the War of the Roses. So we've got a couple of mad monarchs on our hands this week. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think... It, I don't think so he didn't suffer a, a, a fate worse than death. He wasn't beheaded. Um, he wasn't a wasn't a tyrant, but generally went mad, like our good friend George the uh, George the Third. So this week we have a couple of uh, probably unfortunate uh, mental monarchs on our hands. I would say we have another butler fireside ghost ghoulish story here, and this is from Hertfordshire. Minsden Chapel in Hertfordshire. Hidden from view by a wooded copse and reached by a brisk walk along a muddy bridleway, the crumbling remnants of Minsden Chapel have totted on the edge of ruin for about 300 years. Built in the 14th century as a chapel of ease for pilgrims en route to St Albans Abbey, it has fallen into disrepair by the mid-17th century when its secluded woodland setting made it a favoured and romantic location for weddings. Unfortunately, as Mary Horne was plighting her troth to Enoch West in 1738, a lump of masonry suddenly dislodged itself from the roof and fell earthwards, knocking the prayer book from the priest's hand. The power that was decided was enough was enough, and the chapel was abandoned. It has remained little more than a melancholic ruin ever since. In the early 20th century, it became indelibly linked with the Hertfordshire historian Reginald Hines, 
whose fondness for what was left in the chapel led to it leasing from the church for its lifetime. He issued a dire warning to trespassers and sacrilegious persons that he would proceed against them with the utmost rigour of the law until after his death and burial I will endeavour in all ghostly ways to protect it and haunt its hallowed walls. Following his death in 1949, he was buried here and his cracked tombstone now rests beneath a lush carpet of weed and nettle. Unsurprisingly, the crumbling edifice is a haunted, its ghost being of a phantom monk that appears on Halloween midnight and ascends a long, vanished flight of stairs at the chapel's northeast corner. His appearance is always preceded by a mysterious tolling of the Midston Lost Bells, and his passage is marked by the eerie, through solemn sound of plaintive music. So anyway, on a lighter note, um, looking at the week, one of my favourite little Twitter sites is Very British Problems, and books have been written... Uh, a lot of um, uh, a lot of uh, British problems and eccentricities have been shared on the site, um, but this one uh, was about eating fish and chips on a rainy day after a relaxing visit to the Cromwell Museum. No tea? No, we don't sell tea. Sorry, only cold drinks. Well, okay, no worries. We sit in the window opposite St Mary's Church, next to Steve's taxis and the Hunt's Post. The view through the glass, warped by drizzle horse racing on the little telly in the corner, and rain, salt, malt vinegar down every nook and cranny of the styrofoam tray between us. We chat about Cromwell. A plaque on the wall a few doors down saw the poet William Cooper used to live here quite a while ago. He's the bloke who first said, Variety is the spice of life. Spice, he must have been talking about Barney's curry sauce. He also coined God moves in mysterious ways, but I can't think of how to link that to chips. I struggle to recall a more perfect weekend from the best ever apple to the best ever meals in the best company. Thank goodness for rain. We decide to sack off to the festival before the owner of Barney's appears to place in front of us a freshly brewed cup of tea. Praise the Lord. So thank you very much for joining uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese this week. A sort of misty, uh, mellow, fruitfulness edition of uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. As September has uh, really steamed up on us from behind and people are harvesting lots of beautiful uh, fruit on the trees. I saw somebody actually picking apples off a tree during my trail walk this morning, which is uh, warming to the soul. But it's chappy out, but we end uh, with a little poem, as always, in September by Sir Charles George Douglas Roberts. This windy, bright September afternoon, my heart is wide awake, yet full of dreams. The air alive with hushed confusion teems, with the scent of grain fields in a mystic rune, foreboding of the summer, a fall of summer soon, keep swelling and subsiding till there seems, oh, all the world of valleys, hills and streams, only the wind's explicable tune. Over and out for this week, ladies and mantelpieces, and I will return very, very soon to this wonderful little whimsical portal. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese.